You thought I'd left then, didn't you? You looked like she's gone. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Ah, oh, so nice to be here with you. And I, it's my joy to spend a bit of time unpacking the Bible this morning, which is, you know, it's a fun thing to do. It's also quite a responsibility. I always feel that when I'm preaching. It's like, oh, it's a responsibility. I need to... Yeah, I want to do a good job on, on teaching from the Bible. When I was growing up, I had a favourite um, genre of film. I had Actually, I quite like cowboy films but, um, when I was a teenager. But I really liked Alfred Hitch- Hitchcock movies. Does anyone like an Alfred Hitchcock movie? Yeah. I love the sort of suspense, the twist in the movie. I mean, they're quite old now. They're, most of them are black and white. 39 Steps was a particular favourite of mine. Um, But one of the reasons why I really loved an Alfred Hitchcock movie, it's quite hard to say that correctly, um, is he would show up in the film. He would always make a cameo appearance in a film in some way. He would kind of appear um, rather sort of elusively. And and sometimes I think he might have even done a little wink or something to show that he was there. But I love that. I love that the, the artist showing up. Um, in in what he was doing and and I know that that happens in painters and famous painters sometimes they will appear in their own masterpieces to um and I think I would definitely want to do that I would paint myself and everything I'd be like yeah Rachel Riddle here she's there and Michelangelo he was he very famously did not want to paint the fresco in um the Vatican apparently the Pope I think the Pope might have made him but he um, was a bit annoyed about that. So he painted himself into the scene of The Last Judgment. And we've got a picture of it, actually. It was going to come up on the screen. There you go. I don't know if you can see him. He, um, anyone, anyone spot him? Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, there's the hand at the back. Amazing. Someone's cultured. You and me. Actually, I had to look it up. I didn't know. Um, but he's the guy hanging down, looking rather ghoulish. He's um, um, St. Bartholomew is holding him in his hand and he's just got his skin and not his body. It's quite a horrible picture, actually. (laughs) But apparently it's Michelangelo. He wanted to paint himself into the fresco. Maybe take that off now. We're going to be like, where's Wally, aren't we? We're going to be like looking very distracted. Um, But I love the way that these guys, these people, wanted to put themselves into, into the story. And I love that because it reminds me that God is always wanting to paint himself, put himself, appear in the story of our life, in the story of the Bible. He's not wanting to be distant and removed. He wants to kind of step in and make his appearance and his personality and his character visible to people like you and me. Now, if I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. It's one for you to answer in your mind and not out loud. I don't want to put anyone on the spot. Do you feel like God is showing up in your life at the moment? Do you feel like God is making himself visible, maybe through the Bible, or maybe through what is going on in your life, maybe through prayer, through worship, maybe just in the way you're interacting with people? Do you feel like God is showing up in your life at the moment, however small? Often, you know, it's like a whisper. Often it's really something little. I don't want to push the analogy too far with the whole Alfred Hitchcock, Michelangelo, but I'm going to push it a little bit further, if you, if you um, don't mind. Um, I would not have known, like most of you, apart from one young lady at the back, that Michelangelo was in that picture. Because we could have looked at it all we liked, but not noticed he was there. And if you didn't recognise Alfred Hitchcock, didn't know what he looked like, you wouldn't know that he appeared in his films. You could just watch it and not know. And I think for us, what we need to learn to do and practice doing is noticing where God is showing up in our lives. Noticing where he is in scripture. Noticing where he is speaking to us and and we're not listening. 
and noticing that he really wants to speak to us and he wants to make his presence known. And that's partly why we come to church, isn't it? We want to find God. We, we need this sort of, this community of people to help us discover God together. And so this morning, I am delving into the Old Testament. We're in the series of where is Jesus in the Old Testament? That's what we're unpacking this morning. And so it's my privilege to unpack a story in the Old Testament, a key story called the Exodus, which is all about Israel leaving Egypt after being enslaved for 400 years. And we're going to read that story and, and look at the story, but also look, about, look into it and say, what does it teach us about Jesus? What does it teach us about what Jesus wants to do, what Jesus has done and what he wants to do in the future? Um, because Jesus is in the Old Testament. I was chatting to a guy at Alpha some time ago and he said, oh, do you know what? I quite like the New Testament. I quite like you know, reading the stories about Jesus. I find them interesting, but don't, I'm not interested in the Old Testament at all. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's kind of irrelevant now because we've got Jesus. We don't need the Old Testament anymore. We, you know, we don't need to have that as part of our, our diet. And I disagreed with him politely because I, I do try. <laughs> She's laughing. I did disagree politely. I was like, oh, that's really interesting, um, which is kind of a line we do at Alpha. <laughs> that's really interesting because it is interesting. And I actually did understand what he meant. Because I, sometimes I read the Old Testament, I'm just like, oh, this is so hard to understand. This is so complicated. Why does God let that happen? Why, why is this going on? Why didn't God intervene there? And why did he do that? You know, there's lots of questions as you read it and you raise it. I had to write re- an essay recently on it for a course I'm doing. And I thought, oh, I've left this essay with more questions than, than, <laughs> than I've answered. I've actually, and more questions have come up. But what we do know is that Jesus read the Old Testament. The Old Testament was where where Jesus' holy scriptures. He took the Old Testament seriously. And when he preached and taught, he often taught the Old Testament to those that were around him and and sort of taught them. So, you know, if Jesus takes the Old Testament seriously, hey, so should we. And that isn't to say that it's not problematic or there's not difficult things in the Old Testament that we struggle to get our heads around. And in fact, this very passage that I'm going to read to you in a moment is one of those passages. It's a passage where lots of children die. And that is a difficult thing to get our heads around, isn't it? I mean, personally, I find that difficult. But actually, God wants to teach us stuff in this passage. So let's jump in and read it. And it's from Exodus 12. And for some of you, this will be a really familiar story. For some of you, this will be brand new, and that's really fine. If you're new here and you're here for the first time and your church is unfamiliar to you, you know, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're amongst us. And if if this is a bit unfamiliar, don't worry about it. Just... Get the bits that you, you know, that, that, that land on you. I'm going to read it. I'm going to go a little bit closer because my glasses aren't on. <laughs> Here we go. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, and each, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it onto the sides and the tops of the doorframe of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night, 
I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. Let me just take a moment to pray. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us from your word. That as Jesus taught from the Old Testament, that you would help me and you would send your spirit to us to learn and understand what it is you want to speak to us today from your truth, your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little bit of context, if this is very unfamiliar to you. Um, Israel are God's chosen people. He's chosen them, and uh, he wants to make them into a nation that worships him, that knows him, that is in relationship with him. And uh, during this time, they have been captive in Egypt for 400 years. They have been living a life of slavery, of oppression. They have been serving Pharaoh tirelessly for 400 years, and they've been crying out to God for his help, crying out to God to intervene, crying out to God to do something, to change their situation and to let them free. Unsurprisingly, Pharaoh is not interested at all in letting them go because they're his slaves and he's putting them to work. And he does not want them to leave. And there's this repeating phrase in the passage which says, no, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. I mean, in the, in, the, in the Exodus story. And every time Pharaoh says, no, 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 or he says, okay, maybe, and then it's like, no. And so God um, sends 10 plagues and each plague is kind of like an escalation on the plague previously in an attempt to get Pharaoh's attention to say, come on, Pharaoh, you're dealing with God here. And he tries to get his magicians to do um, miraculous things as well. And they succeed in some ways. And each time God takes the pressure up, takes the pressure up, takes the pressure up. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. His heart is absolutely rock solid. And he's, he's basically saying no. And then God loses patience. And hence the story that we've come to where, where God sends the plague of death onto Pharaoh, onto Egypt. And Moses tells the people to sacrifice a perfect lamb or goat without blemish, without defect. And to take the sacrificial lamb and take the blood from the lamb and to put it on the doorpost around the door as a sign, as a a sign to the angel of death that actually this house is to be left. This is, this is a, a house that bears a sacrifice of the lamb on it and it is to be protected from death. And it's an incredible story and the result is that Pharaoh finally relents and lets Israel go. So what's going on here? What is going on in this story that helps us know and understand 
more about Jesus? That's the question that I'm trying to answer this morning. So what is going on in this story? Well, Israel's protection from death was secured by the shed blood of the lamb. The shed blood of the lamb that was without defect, that was perfect, was innocent, hadn't done anything wrong, but was sacrificed on behalf of the Israelites. The lamb was a substitute for them. The lamb was killed on behalf of them. And that night, sure enough, the angel of death comes, just as Moses predicted. And the firstborn of Egypt died from the pharaoh to the prisoner in the dungeon. But Israel was free. Israel was protected. And Pharaoh tells them to go. And they leave Egypt. And it's a story of redemption. It's a story of sacrifice. And it's a story of freedom. And it's, it's the beginning of a thread that runs throughout the whole of the narrative of the whole entire Bible, a thread of redemption, a thread of sacrifice, a thread of freedom that keeps popping up in every story of God stepping in and doing something in order to secure the safety of the people that he's, he's protecting. And every year they were to celebrate Passover. Every year they were to get a lamb. They were to kill it. They were to um, eat it. They were to retell the story of the Passover, to retell the story of what happened in Israel and Egypt, of how Israel was freed. They were to pass it on to their children who passed it on to their children. It was this story that built up over the years, over the years, over the years, to say this is a story of redemption where death does not have the final word, where freedom comes. And this is a story that also points forward to Jesus, the perfect, without blemish, sacrificial lamb who shed his blood on behalf of us in order to secure our freedom and to put a final nail in the coffin of death. And hundreds of years later, Jesus the night before he is betrayed, he's gathering his disciples around him. They're celebrating a meal together and they're just celebrating the Passover like they would have done every year up to that point. And they're celebrating Passover. They're eating the lamb and they've got the bitter herbs that they would have had to remind them of the bitter time in Egypt. They would have been eating and drinking just like they had done many times before. And then Jesus interrupts it and says, yeah, this is Passover but there's something else going on here. There's something else going on here. He's saying that lamb that was sacrificed to secure freedom is me. That perfect substitute that had the blood shed and put on the doorposts is me. That freedom that was secured for the Israelites all those years ago in our history is what I'm doing for you. And it was John the Baptist who saw Jesus coming towards him and had this incredible sort of prophetic understanding of who Jesus actually was. And he says this, he says, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist makes the connection between what had gone in the past to what is going on now and to who Jesus' true identity actually is as the Lamb of God. And there's three things I want to pull out that Exodus story 
and the story of Jesus and apply to us today. And that first thing is that that shed blood of Jesus, the shed blood of the lamb, saves us from the sting of death. As the angel of death circled around Egypt, taking the lives of the Egyptians' families, the blood on the door protected the Israelites. And when Jesus died on the cross, he actually died. He was physically dead. But three days later, he was raised again and he defeated death. And death did not have the final word over his life. And you know what? Death does not have the final word over our lives anymore. Do you believe that? Yeah, some of us do. It's a hard thing to get your head around. Let's be honest about it. Because we will all die unless Jesus comes back beforehand. We will all die. It's kind of like the statistic that is absolutely definitely going to happen, isn't it? But death is not the end for us. Death is not the final word over our lives anymore because Jesus defeated death. And yes, we grieve. Yes, we weep. Yes, we mourn. And yes, if we're honest, some of us really do fear dying. But death is not the end for us. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. I would, if I did not know what was going to happen to me after I died, I would fear death. I would. To think that my life is snuffed out at the end and that is it. No wonder people are struggling to live lives of purpose because if you think, oh, this is all it is, that is depressing. Death is not the end for us. Even this week has been a bit of a brush for us of remembering the pain of death. And those of you that know us, we had a son that died quite a few years ago now. It was his birthday this week. And for us, it's another day celebrating or remembering a birthday of someone that we longed and wished was with us, but we know isn't. And we've remembered now more birthdays without Sam than the birthdays we celebrated with Sam. And that's the reality, that death is painful and loss is hard and mourning is real. And grief is absolutely something we, we will all walk through. Many of us here will, live, will be grieving, have grieved or will be grieving in the future. But the truth is we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We may feel like we're being washed away by grief as a wave comes in, but it will not washes away entirely it will come in a wave and it will go and hope will be the thing that remains it says this in Hebrews 6 we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain you know hope is a right that we have as children of God hope is something that we inherit when we become followers of Jesus it's not something we have to kind of conjure up ourselves and say, oh, I'm just going to try and squeeze in a bit of hope. It doesn't work like that. Hope comes from God. Hope comes from knowing who we belong to. Hope comes from knowing that Jesus died for us and we're going to see him again. And our, this life now that we're living is not all it is. Hope means that we can navigate through the hardest situations of our lives knowing that Jesus is helping us navigate it and he's leading us forward. Secondly, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world brings us freedom. 
the Israelites experienced incredible freedom after 400 years of slavery. They were led out of Egypt. The Egyptians let them go, finally, and they took loads of other stuff with them. They plundered the Egyptians, basically. The Egyptians said, go and take all this stuff with you as well. The exodus meant that evil did not have the final word over their lives. That they were free from oppression. That the powers of darkness didn't win. When Jesus died on the cross and came back to life again, do you know what? The powers of darkness thought they had won when Jesus died, but they didn't win. Jesus' resurrection meant that the powers of darkness lost big time and will never win again. And yes, there are many wins that the powers of darkness seem to have in our own lives and in the world. We see that now, don't we? There's, there's, there's stuff happening that we wish wasn't happening and we wished it wasn't. And even in our own lives, we lose some spiritual battles. We lose some battles. That is true. But ultimately, Jesus wins. Love wins. Evil is defeated and it will ultimately one day be defeated forever. And freedom is a state that Jesus wants us to live in and to know. Now, interestingly, the Israelites were freed in the moment they left Egypt but they circled around the desert for 40 years because God wanted to make them a people, his people. And it took a long time to get this slavery attitude out of the Israelites. They so easily worshipped other things. They were tempted to go back to get the melons and the cucumbers. It actually says that in the, in the Old Testament. The melons and the cucumbers were so great back in Egypt. I'm like, yeah, but you were slaves. Come on. You know, what's the melon and the cucumber in your life? <laughs> Is there a melon and a cucumber equivalent of like, it was so much better without God. It was so much easier without Jesus. It was so much harder being a Christian. Is there a melon and a cucumber you need to kind of face up to and say, actually, Jesus has brought my freedom. There's this game that you play on your phone and you hold it above your head and it gives you a word to act out. It's like charades and the people in front of you have to act out the word and you have to guess what it is. It's quite fun if you want to play a good family game. Um, and I was thinking about this as I was preparing and praying. And I was thinking, what if you had to write a word above your head, what would it be? Would it be loved? Would it be freedom? Would it be peace? Would it be hope? Have a little think. If there was a word written above your head, what would it be? For some of us, it won't be those words. It will be things like shame, bitterness, unforgiveness, worry. It will be things that have maybe been spoken to you as you've been growing up. Things that someone said about you that has really stuck and gone deep. And you just feel like you can't get rid of it. Or something that's happened to you, you feel like that's the thing that kind of defines you. But Jesus wants freedom to define us. Jesus wants us to be free. And he's not unrealistic about that. For some of us, we will become Christians. We will step into that. And, you know, in a moment, we will stop the bad habit that we did. And God will free us from some of the things that, that we really wanted to be free from. But for some of us, it might be our life's work to walk in freedom. It might take us a lifetime to walk away from the thing that is really holding us back. But do you know what? That is just as important and just as powerful as when God does it in an instant. 
But the truth is that God wants to do that. He wants us to walk in freedom. And today, you know, we're going to have communion in a moment. We're going to celebrate the meal that I'm just talking about, that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And there's going to be people here who would love to pray for you, who would love to just bring a bit of freedom, who would love to minister to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, who would love to bless you, who would love to, you to sort of say, yeah, actually, that word, I don't, I've had enough of that word in my life. I want a bit of that hope, a bit of that freedom, a bit of that joy. And the team would love to pray for you. So if that's you, come get some prayer. The third thing that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world does is he opens up a relationship with God. And that's what God wanted for Israel. You know, he wanted a people for himself to be in relationship with. That's what he wanted. He didn't just want a, a, a kind of like a, a tribe to kind of say, yeah, they're mine. He wants relationship. And that's what Jesus does when he dies on the cross and he sacrifices his life for us. He welcomes us into a relationship with God. That's what he wants for us, that we would know God and be known by God, that we could walk into a relationship with the God of the universe and know him as Father. Today, Father's Day, will be a difficult day for many of us. I lost my father about seven years ago, but he was a great father. He fathered me really well. Some of us here will have not have had that experience and would have been fathered badly, or they would have been um, absent or unkind, spoken things over us that we can't shake off. But you know, God wants to be our heavenly Father who loves us, who wants to be for us, who wants to cheer us on and stand in the gap, those gaps that our earthly fathers have left. He wants to stand in that gap. He wants to draw us in to a relationship with him. And this morning, if you're kind of struggling with that particular area of, oh, I feel fatherless, let God be your father today. Let that relationship unfold in a deep way. Because what Jesus is wanting for us is to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with the Father that changes our lives. And so that is going to make a difference to us, but also it makes a difference to those that we meet. And it's not just about us, it's about how we pass on that, that message, that story of hope, and how we tell other people, how we say to others who are around us, actually, you know, knowing Jesus is really great. Give it, a, give it some thought. Try it out. Come and test drive a church service. Come and test drive an Alpha course. Talk to me about why I believe in Jesus, why I think he's worth following. I was at the gym, actually, last week. Just thought I'd drop that in. Um, I was at the gym last week, and um, I've got to know one of the receptionists there as, we, as I go in, um, in and out and have a little chat. And she's a student, and she was feeling so stressed because she just finished all her studies. And she didn't know what was left. And she just literally got off the phone and had had a difficult conversation with a few people about, about what she was hoping to do. And I, I, as, as I walked in, I could just see stress all over her. And I said, oh, not literally, but you know what I mean? I could tell she was upset. And I said, oh, how's things? And we had a bit of a conversation. And, and we, had a, we had a really nice chat and we bonded a bit because she's from Devon slash heaven. And, and um, she grew up really near where I used to live. And so we had this lovely chat about that. And then I went into the gym and did my workout. And I was like, hey, I should really, I think I should pray for her. She's so, peace is not something she knows about at the moment because she's having a difficult day. So I said to God, we made a pact. I said, God, if she's there on the way out and she's, out, and she's not got anyone else talking to her, I'm going to offer to pray for her. I'm not going to say I'm going to pray for her because you might not want me to. But I'm going to ask because that's the polite thing to do. 
And as I left, she was on her own and she was pouring over the computer. And I just said, oh, I'm a Christian. I really love praying for people. Would you mind if I prayed for you? Because I just really feel for you. It's like it's so hard being a young person these days. So much pressure. Pandemic has been particularly pants. And uh, you don't know what's next. And um, I'd just love to bless you. Is that right? And she was like, that would be so lovely. So I felt a bit encouraged. So um, I said, I'm just going to pray for you now. Is that okay? And she goes, yeah. So she bowed her head and I bowed my head. We had this little sweet moment of prayer in the reception of the gym. And as I opened my eyes and said, amen, I said, was that okay? She was like, that was really okay. And she, had, she was sort of had dewy-eyed. And I said, I'm going to pray for you today that you know some peace because God wants to give it to you. And then I left. And I thought, that's what God wants us. He wants us to be people who bring peace to others. We don't have to be weird and strange about it. We can just be normal and share a bit of what God has given us to those that we meet. Because the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, wants to be in relationship with his people, who he loves, who he wants to draw into his family. And he wants to do that today with you and with me. And he wants to do that in the week with the people that you are working alongside, who you live alongside, who you're at the gym alongside, who you're on the bus alongside. He wants us for his people. He wants relationship with us because he loves us. And as I finish now and we go into communion, one of the things that struck me about this story is that when they were in the desert, God's presence stayed with them the whole time in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. God's presence never left them. And God's presence is here today, not in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke, but by the Holy Spirit. His presence is here with us, in this room, in us. And as we take communion now, if you need to know God's presence today, come and ask someone to pray for you at the front or go to someone you know in the congregation and ask them to pray for you. Ask for his presence to be made real to you and personal to you today because that's what he wants to do. He wants you to know his presence, his love, because he wants a people. He wants relationship. So Nigel's going to lead us in communion and as we do that, we're going to focus on Jesus. Jesus who died for us and gives us life. Jesus who gives us freedom from sin and shame and guilt. And Jesus who wants relationship with us and to make us into a people. Let's just pray for a moment and then I'll hand over to Nigel. Jesus, you are so wonderful. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You shed your blood for us. You were the perfect sacrifice to cleanse us from our sin. We're so thankful. I pray that as we take communion today, in this moment, you would revive our weary hearts. You would meet our deepest needs that we've come to today. You would give us your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.